You are listening to MSP 1337. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, and I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Uh, first and foremost, I'd like to thank our sponsor, MSP Ignite. MSP Ignite offers a peer group experience that is unique to managed service providers in the technology industry. If you are serious about implementing a model for success through sharing and collaboration of best practices, this is the best way to do it. Head on over to msp-ignite.com to get more information. All right, on to the show. Welcome everybody to MSP 1337. This week, I have Eric Hansen of Inland Productivity Solutions back on the show to talk about pre and post boom. Eric, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Now, uh, I think that title, uh, pre-post-boom, might need a little bit more of an explanation. I think you probably are best to elaborate on that, as this is me coining your phrase. Well, and, you know, I just stole it from the military, allegedly. Um, so, you know, <laughs> the, uh, in, the, in the way that I'm explaining this to, to clients and prospects and you know, whatever speaking gig showed up um, is to walk people through, you know, here's, here's all the stuff you think you're doing. And then you have the boom event, you know, that's the ransomware uh, dropping or, you know, whatever bad thing happens. It's not a good thing. Yeah. Whatever, right. Whatever the thing is, you weren't expecting it to go boom, but it went boom. So, you know, what, uh, what are we going to do post boom to deal with it? And did we do enough pre boom to potentially pre- prevent the boom or make the boom less of a boom? You know, where it was a little, where it was a little cap gun boom instead of a shotgun boom. I, I, I was, your... was going to, I was going to say LAPD trying to blow up some fireworks boom, but that might be politically incorrect. <laughs> or, or just really loud. <laughs> Knock uh, stuff over. Right. So I, I really like this idea of, of saying it. I don't want to say it's sugarcoating it or hiding what we're really talking about when we say pre post boom and then sort of leaving it up to someone's imagination to determine whether or not it's fireworks or a cap gun or something worse. But at the same time, the idea here is about minimizing impact. And I think that's pretty easy to go. Is it going to be a big boom or a small boom, right? Like, so, so to what you were describing to me the other day when we were talking uh, as you were uh, on a walk and I was not, uh, you, you brought up like the idea that educating your employees and your, and your clients on things that we can do to prevent the... I'm going to say prevent. I think we have this prevent protect model that MSPs uh, by and large focus on, right? Our, our goals are how do we, how do we keep your lights on? How do we keep the, the, you know, bad things out, right? The, the protect part. But we also have a challenge with clients who say, you know, this is going to happen anyways, right? This is, we, we watch it play out in the news and there's no way that I can stop this from happening. But to your point, uh, of talking about having the exercise take place that walks them through. These are the products or services that we're saying you need to have in place at a minimum. And here are the things that we would like to put in place uh, because of the importance of, oh my goodness. And right there on the screen, uh, for, for my own benefit, you pulled up the NIST model of identify, 
protect, detect, respond, recover, right? We've summed it up. There you go. But this is your version, Eric. So please elaborate. Actually, on... this is my stolen version from a Huntress deck. But... Well, and Huntress <laughs> uh, gets all the credit. We'll just say, hey, Huntress, uh, thank you for uh, allowing us to have this conversation about some things that you have presented to Inland Productivity Solutions. And now we're talking about it today on MSP 1337. So since this is a podcast and people will be listening to it, not so much looking at it, can you kind of give a an overview that's less focused on maybe the, the framework itself, but more focused on what you have found is, is the sort of turning point aha moment that you're helping your clients recognize this pre-boom model that all of your clients you're hoping will adopt. Right. So, so as we're talking about this with clients, you know, if I, I'm going to assume that most of the listeners to this podcast understand what the the five pieces of that model are um, in the in the NIST cybersecurity framework and you know identifying know what you have you know what should be on that network what exists you know understand the inventory and then the protect this is the thing that I think you know this is where I think uh, customers think this is just the holy grail if I have all this stuff I'm I'm good you know and whether that's um, you know, and of you know, going going through the list, right? You know, we have, um, and I kind of work backwards in this. Of course, Chris has the the advantage of seeing what I'm seeing visually, but you know, we're we're talking about being able to identify and and detect and remove phishing emails, um, email filtering. Um, for lack of a better yeah. word, the basics, right? The basics, right? You know, yeah. but understanding what those basics do. You know, when I talk about AV, I'm like, look, AV does, here's what AV does, whether it's next gen or or old school AV. Yeah. It knows what it knows and that's what it knows. And yes, next gen products are a little more adaptive, but, you know, they still are looking for a specific set of behaviors if you will this gets into the six a dozen six dozen six dozen of one a half a <laughs> yeah. dozen of the other or sorry six of one half a dozen of the other I, that's might, what you were trying to yeah. say so because six dozen and six are not the same thing um, <laughs> but but what i was going to say is we've been in this mindset on the identify and protect since i can remember ever wanting to be in managed services yep. right We've got RMM tool. In fact, when we said we were going to this monthly reoccurring, no longer break fix, we suddenly had more sophisticated on the RMM tools and, and the PSA with automation that helped us do this better than we had in the past and help find the holes in our protect model, if you will, on the things that we needed to implement or had implemented but didn't have all of the assets getting protected. And that was kind of the beauty as we moved forward to catch some of those things. But I think... That's part of our problem right now, too, is that we're spending, when I say we, I mean, managed service providers in general, they are putting a ton of energy into one more thing in this category, right? Like, I now need a new fill-in-the-blank mail filter, or I found that this new EDR, next-gen AV, you name it, it's the holy grail of Protect, and I'm going to add that and layer it in. But isn't this kind of the point that you're kind of leading up to is what comes next? 
Right, right. So, you know, it, I, think, I think it's always been difficult to explain this journey, if you will, uh, to the average end user that doesn't understand. Um, yeah, it, while they may be the decision maker, they don't really understand, well, if I have antivirus, if I have whatever it is you sold me, I'm all good, right? And, you know, I, what I do is I take people through the, okay, well, well, we hope the antivirus got it. Well, it didn't, it didn't catch it. Right. And then, you know, I, I hope if it was an email, it, if it, perhaps it was something that, that snuck through through email and then the antivirus didn't get it. And uh, in this case, you know, well, how is that firewall configured? Well, are you in, are you operating a business in North America where you don't really need anything beyond uh, being able to talk to the United States and Canada? Cool. Well, if your firewall is properly configured, it maybe can't reach out to a command and control server. Right. But what if you don't have that? You know, so this is why we use DNS filtering. Is hopefully that catches that call out to the to the command and control server. But what happens if all of those things fail? Sure. We now, we now have the boom. Well, and, and before you go into, you know, we're still talking about the, the pre-boom, it, you, you, you alluded to it a little bit. I started thinking about that transaction model that you were kind of talking about with the client prospect of you're going to put this extra thing in there. And that response is, and this is going to keep this from happening. And you're like, well, not exactly but no one wants to hear not exactly, right? Like no one wants to hear uh, you're in better shape, but it's not great shape because we added this one thing. They wanna hear that whatever the, the magic number is for your client financially is the maximum that they're gonna spend or their comfort level for spend to have these things in there. And one of the things that we've done a poor job, I think until recently, I, I see a change here, is that we didn't actually break out the elements of protect for our client. We just sort of included it in the, per, for a monthly fee per user, we're gonna do everything we can to protect you, keep you operating like normal, and we're gonna do it for less than the guy down the road. This is, yeah. and I'm not saying you said that, I'm just saying- Right, no, that's what our industry says. Our industry, we commoditized ourselves without even identifying things that were definitely not a commodity in the model because it got lumped in there when we didn't break anything out. So you kind of stepped through a few of those and I, and I, and I want to ask this question before we jump into the, the post boom part. What, what's the minimum versus what's the sort of like middle of the road versus what's the luxury of like what, how many of these layers is enough on protect? I, I think, you know, while I'd like to say it doesn't, that we don't compromise on that, we certainly do. You know, for us, the, uh, the minimum really depends on the size of the customer. You know, I, it's, it's going to be hard to go in and sell a twelve or $1,500 firewall solution to somebody who's got three users and, right. and, and perceives they have no risk, you know, and going in and telling people, well, you know, the sky is falling and then the sky doesn't fall. Eventually, you know, um, 
doesn't doesn't work you know the 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 go and scare the crap out of them thing and you know we're recording this in the middle of Cybersecurity awareness month absolutely um but you know just because we went and and told them all the scary stories doesn't mean they believe the scary stories because the scary stories never happened to them or they don't know anybody that the scary stories happened to um you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I can I can point to a few events uh, without pointing out names. In, yeah, names you know, when bad. I'm talking to people locally. Yeah. Um, but you know, even even then, they're like, "Well, you know, I'm not big enough." And and as much as we want to tell people, yeah, well, you know, my line to well, I, you know, we're not interesting enough. I'm like, do you have a bank account? Because you're interesting. I, I think I think in the world of cybersecurity, I hate to say this, and please don't go take your mind somewhere that you shouldn't, but I don't think size matters when it comes to cybersecurity, right? Oh, I tell you, it clearly doesn't. And I think the crazy part is size also doesn't matter when you start looking at what you implement in the protect model, right? So if I put a $50,000 firewall in, you may be no more protected than the $500 firewall I can also put in or no firewall at all, depending on, how it's been configured and what you've done to sort of layer this approach, which kind of takes me back to, well, what's the minimum then we should see in any environment? And is that almost the same thing? Like, I don't know, because each snowflake and depending on the, uh, the data set that you're trying to protect, I, th- I think you said it like you said the exact word that we don't do this very well. What is it that I am trying to protect? right? The data, the information, the risks of that data being compromised, what does that look like for either me who's trying to protect it, because that could be part of it, or, or you whose data I'm trying to protect? If we can't identify that, I don't know that any of these tools we throw in there are necessarily going to determine a small boom or a big boom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing that I was thinking about while you were going through that was, you know, the, I like leveraging the insurance company to help almost help be the bad guy of saying, okay, well, here's the things that your insurance company um, says that you have to have, but the thing that the insurance company doesn't say you have, you know, they ask, do you have a firewall? They don't define what a firewall is, you know. If I can, if I can find, I a, keep it in my car, right? If I can keep a fifty, well, yeah. I mean, I have the one in my car too, right? In me in the engine, but do you know? Just because you have a firewall doesn't mean that it's properly configured. It doesn't mean that you have any of the functionality turned on on it. It means you have one. So you know, at, do the insurance companies ever deal with that? I think it would be very difficult because they'd have to audit every single environment. Uh, Right. But so now you're getting into what I would call is the don't get yourself in a situation of the unwritten is what I followed. So while I have a firewall and quote, you know, it sits in a closet, I think, or even it's been implemented, but not necessarily configured correctly. It's turned on and and it's routing. Right. But in a, post boom conversation slash forensics investigation. If in that scenario, it's proven that, Hey, your firewall wasn't even properly configured. 
you may not get the payout you were expecting because they're going to look at that and go, hey, we've got negligence in play here. And I think as an MSP, it's even a little bit scarier because where do you think that client's going to point the finger if that firewall's misconfigured? Even if it's not, they're always going to point uh, well, the sure. at the MSP. It doesn't, for sure. it doesn't matter what, how you got here. They it's blame the you for making fall. the sky fall, even though that was a myth. Right. <laughs> okay, so... I think we've, uh, I don't want to say we've exhausted where the whole protect piece is, the, the pre-boom preparedness part, you know, another P. So, but then that kind of lends itself to what comes next. You talked about, you know, we can do all of these things, but that's still not necessarily going to catch everything. And we see that play out uh, periodically. It's, I think it's interesting when you see uh, serious booms happen that are so new that exfiltrating data wasn't even a priority for the new uh, zero zero day attack, right? In fact, I'm dealing with one right now where the company was hit with ransomware that crippled everything, uh, but it, they were like the guinea pig for the for the bad guys, and the bad guys didn't take into consideration that when they crippled the environment, the environment went offline. Like it, it there was no phoning home. Like they they basically crippled it too bad, and it just went done. Right. Well, I mean, hey, you know, everybody's someone's got to be the beta tester. Right. And so to some degree, it's it's a it's it's a unique opportunity to potentially get ahead of how this gets addressed going forward. If we get the right resources involved, this may be a uh, an exploit that doesn't get much light of day because the guinea pig was probably not a good choice for them in the first place. So anyways, I'll just you know, to say that even the best laid plans and the best implemented tool sets does not equate uh, prevention to the degree that it's not going to happen. Yeah. All right. So we have this huge stack. We'll just say it's a pretty large stack that I think people buffet style pick and choose to fill up the portfolio that's being sold in the protect category. Now let's talk about detect because for those of you that can't see the slide, the list for detect is a lot shorter than the list was for protection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there were a variety of condoms available in the protect department, but <laughs> our options just became limited. Yeah. And, and we're not making these decisions based on how much they cost, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so real quick, because I want to say this before we, before I forget, all of the things that you've kind of talked about in the protect, maybe with some variations, remind me of a CompTIA uh, research thing that was done that basically outlined some, not want to say cybersecurity maturity, but it was like the different cybersecurity uh, implementations. So like everybody should be doing like the basics and it kind of listed out some of the things that you've got in the protect. And then they had what they called more of like foundational security. When you go more organizationally wide, it's not one off here and there. And you got into some of the things that you're describing, like more advanced firewall management, the phishing simulation type stuff. It's a little bit further along than maybe what is kind of the traditional. But now as we're moving into the detect piece and we start talking about uh, the, the EDR type stuff, the new XDR, as, as there's some of that out there, uh, SIM tools or SIM tools. Um, I think you might want to change your spelling on that one. Um, isn't it S-I-E-M? I think it depends who you're listening to. Hmm. I think it's how you pronounce it. Yeah. 
at any rate, the the detect component has a, I don't want to say a requirement, but we're definitely moving into a territory that does have a difference of the resources and the, um, I would say the maturity, even at the vendor level of some of these products and tools that you can implement. Because five years ago, outside of SIM or SIM or SIM, yeah. uh, we didn't really have much to, to, to help with these things have happened. And a lot of it was a very manual process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think in a lot of ways it is, it, it remains a, um, a, uh, a process that is very manual. Um, you know, there's, while while we can aggregate the logs, you still, somebody's got to analyze those logs. Yeah. You can throw some AI against it. Um, but how, how um, how accurate can you be in that? And you're right, the spelling is wrong. So I'm, I'm fixing fixing my slide deck as we're going here. So um, the failure the failure piece, or sorry, but it's identifying the failure. That's right. you know yeah. it, what it is is it's identifying that our protect layer didn't. <laughs> right for, for lack of a better term, you know the bad guys figured out a way through this right. whole stack of stuff and we need to know they're there right because if we know they're there we can potentially still prevent something from happening because just because they're there doesn't mean they've done anything yet right right i mean no, typically what's going to happen is once they get there they're going to move laterally and they're going to figure out what's there and that you know for them is a manual process there's no ai that i'm aware of that they can throw against it and say Hey, go find everything on on this network and all of the data that is potentially valuable that provides me that second lever is how I describe it when I'm talking about it. You know, you've got the first lever of, hey, I encrypted all your files. Well, you know, for the most part, we've figured out how to how to recover from that. People yeah. are paying paying for backup. So now the the attacker needs to be able to say, well, that's nice good for you restore your files but i'm going to go ahead and release your data yeah so as we move into that extortion piece which is their second lever to, to pull to make sure that they get paid it does require a little more back end work on their part and hopefully we can detect that they're there while they're doing the back end work before they really can do the damage well, it's, it's funny you mentioned the the know what's sort of been, like what did they release, right? So I think back to the protect or even the identify part from the risks that go in there. And it's like, if we know what data you have and this type of event starts playing out, well, what data did they get? Because the last thing you really want to have to talk about is, yep, we're doing forensics. We're not entirely sure what folders they got into, uh, but hopefully it wasn't finance or hopefully it wasn't, you know, CUI or some other data set act that has repercussions that go way beyond whether or not I have right. risk in this yeah, data. Did they, did they get all the patient records or did they or, get... Or did they just get some? <laughs> right. Did they get less Who's than 500 patient? records? Yeah, yeah. How many How many patient records did they get? Right. You know? Oh, 501, shoot. Only we Wait, would that have one was out. a demo record, so it was That's only right. five hundred. So. Right, so we're yeah, <laughs> so we're now we're good. <laughs> okay, so so one of the things that I think is really important for the listeners is to is to talk through some of this detect components because 
I've had experience, I know you have too, that there are certain EDR solutions out there that can be all consuming for an MSP. Because I think one of the things that happens when we go further into this more advanced maturity model for cybersecurity is you get into uh, the MSPs are starting to look, and, and don't get me wrong, me too. I'm looking for a bigger easy button, right? Like if I spend more money on a better tool that I will be reducing significantly the FTE or uh, just even the, the you know, I, I'm clawing back time, if you will, because I'm implementing this sort of bigger, badder tool. Right. Is that, I mean, am I, am I, is that correct? Like, I, I feel, I feel like it is, but I, I mean, I could be wrong here. Well, I mean, we're both speculating to a degree, but I, I think there comes a point where the easy button kind of goes away for us, at least at this point. Because if it was easy, then it would be easy to stop the bad guys. But, you know, it's a continually evolving fight. You know, what what worked, you know, five days ago may not work today. And, and the, um, our ability to detect that, okay, well, we haven't seen this behavior, you know, becomes a bit more of a manual process. Um, so talking about the tools for a second, I want to just kind of recapture for everybody listening so that their imagination isn't spiraling and give them some details here. On the identify protect side, before we get into something has gotten through, we're, we're talking about in your tool set or a tool set, not necessarily this is listing out everything that one uses in their organization, but you probably have somewhere between a dozen and maybe a little more than that of products and services that fulfill, at least not saying you've identified every gap, but fulfill the model of this is your identify and protect tool set, give or take. Fair? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and that, and I, and I think that tool set has to be commercially practical. Um, kind of elaborate on that for me. So, so what I mean by that is, you know, we're typically not protecting the Social Security Administration. Um, no. <laughs> you know, we're, I hate to use the term good enough, but, it, you know, for the most part, it is good enough. Essentially, what you're trying to do is make sure that you are difficult enough to penetrate that and someone is moving on to the that next they're, That they're going to move on. This, this isn't worth the effort because you've got this world now where, okay, yeah, I buy a tool. My specialty is, you know, the social engineering aspect of getting somebody sure. to take the action to install the thing that I bought off the internet for 50 bucks and I'm revenue sharing with the guys that actually wrote it. You know, right. I, I think that that whole concept while, you know, we, probably talk about it in the MSP world enough. Um, I don't know that we talk about that to customers enough, how, you know, how this model works. You know, we use terms that are cons that are, that are comfortable for us. Right. You know, well, well, it's an affiliate model and this is how they get, no, no, just say what it is. Yep. I'm, I'm Joe Schmo and I'm reselling a tool and I'm sharing the profit the guy who i bought it from this isn't who the happens inland. to be a bad guy who needs to, yeah it's you know, not the and pay his kid and, and and care for his kids 
right? This Burn isn't kids. the the inland productivity uh, white labeled data or or white labeled acronas or white labeled. You're, you're not white labeling, which no, was I, a yeah. I'll so, go off on a little tangent on the white okay. labeling. I think today, I I think you really got to think through whether you want to white label something because if you know, God forbid, something goes horribly wrong then they don't exist right then that upstream provider maybe isn't involved in the lawsuit so the last the last piece that i want to hit on because we keep talking about it but we don't really point it out is that the good enough involves participation from client end user a lot not kind of half-heartedly participating they have to be willing to go through some of the phishing simulation to do some of that security training, because I think good enough becomes more than enough on the protect side. I mean, or I should say as much as we can reasonably, as much as you can reasonably. Right. I agree. I agree. It's about what you can reasonably get done because they are participating. You have a realistic set of um, expectations that can be met where if there's no buy-in from a responsibility standpoint, then, then really, it doesn't really matter how many layers on the protect side you're really putting in there because the, the getting through or getting that foothold is happening. It's just a question of how long is it going to be before it happens. Right, right. Yeah, <clears throat> that goes to the assume, assume breach. So shifting gears, because I think the detect side of this boom conversation isn't as, uh, we don't have as much to talk about because there's a lot less in this stack. So Walk me through what you believe needs to be on the radar of every MSP who's, you know, finally saying, hey, we need to put some detect tools in here. Are there three or five or, you know, one that really makes sense that needs to happen? And then what does that look like as we go beyond some of the detect to respond and recover? Because I think, I think MSPs by and large are really good at recover. We've gotten really good at recovery. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we are, we're really good at recover. Get your data back real quick. The problem Uh, is where did it go? Right. Well, well, where did the evidence of the bad stuff go? Yeah. How is that going to impact your insurance coverage and what they're willing to pay for? And I think pretty soon, if you just overwrite the stuff, because, you know, if you think about it, Five years ago, that was that was the response. Okay, it got it got encrypted. Just right right over the bad stuff with the backup and carry on. Um, that's never really been our approach. We've always imaged stuff before we did that. Um, today, that that would be a requirement. And if the if the MSP just charges ahead to recover. Potentially, they invalidate that that insurance, assuming that it's there, invalidate that insurance. But I think, you know, two years from now, if you do that, you're probably also going to be running afoul of of uh, yeah, what did you just violate with the False Claims Act or yeah, or other law because you went and did your own thing. So uh, I'll pause for a quick tip right here. Uh, when the boom happens, the first phone call should not be, hey, how quickly can we get back online? The first phone call should be to your insurance provider because this isn't their first 
situation of something got through. And I have been quite impressed with how quickly there is a smooth process in place. It says, first, we're going to do this, then we're going to do this. And it's not like open for questions or debate. So the second side of that tip is get to know that process pre-boom and make sure that the insurance provider that you're working with is complementary to the process that you would like to have in place for your incident response. Because if it's not complimentary, you might need to start looking for a new provider right now before boom happens. Yeah, well, and and I would argue that the, that the insurance companies can kind of give you a roadmap of what, depending upon who the insurer is, they can give you a roadmap of, here's what we're going to want to yep. see. I mean, they can... They can build your incident response plan absolutely to a large degree for you. They've already got it built because I would venture a guess that 90% or better of the of the incidents they respond to, there is no incident response plan. It's no holy crap, what happened? Yeah, I, um, I would agree. And I've been I've been involved in enough of both scenarios to know that even the ones that had an IR strategy. The, the holes in the IR plan, because, you know, they hadn't gone through a boom, uh, their tabletop exercises weren't good enough or were non-existent. The insurance company had the elements to fill those gaps in. And had they talked to the insurance broker first, probably wouldn't have been in that situation. All right. We've tangent, we've gone on a tangent on insurance. Let's go back really quick to detect. And I think we can probably breeze through pretty quick the other two. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on respond recover, but, but talk me through detect. So, so detect, I, you know, try to be product agnostic here. Sure. Um, But you, you know, you, you need to have some sort of mechanism by which you are going to uh, make that detection. If, whether that's an EDR, um, I don't have a good word for the product that's up there uh, off the top of my head because it's for not, EDR. It's not quite well. No, no, the the for third the other one? third line there. Yeah, that's not. It's not technically an EDR. Um, it's more of an anomaly detection tool. Is that correct. fair? So yeah, we'll yeah. say anomaly yeah. detection tool without saying a vendor name. Uh, how about along those lines of anomaly detection tool? This is one that I, I don't have a problem saying because it comes built into everybody's Windows machine. But if you don't have, say, a detect tool that you've bought through a third party, you can configure Windows Defender on an endpoint. There is a mm-hmm. checkbox that you can actually go in and check to say, look for anomaly in these directories where it would be really like, do I care if my system folder gets crippled, but I can still get to my files? Yeah, because I can rebuild Windows. But you get into that folder, I got problems. Right, right. Well, in this tool that we're avoiding, yeah, does that now. So um, I have no problem if you want to say who the vendor is. This is not a, we're trying to be vendor neutral. We're trying to right. give some suggestions to those right. that don't have tools. And, you know, I don't know that I can list very many fingers of vendors that have products that are in this exact same niche. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't think there is one. So, so the product that we're dancing around is, is Huntress. And Oh, you said it. Oh no. I know. Um, We're going to get rated as explicit on Apple Podcasts now. Yeah, well, the, it's a good thing I use an Android device. I'll be. That's okay. a good thing. Yep, I'll that's be, a good I'll thing. Okay. Yeah, we'll be fine. Android yeah. will be okay too. Yeah, um, but you know, if, I think that they have a very unique offering. I don't, you know, it's it's 
not the only thing maybe that you should be doing, but I think that that uh, a lot of the stuff that those guys are doing is very interesting and really nobody else has a product that is that light and that responsive and that focused and that and that laser focus right, right on on that on that thing that is greater than 90 percent of the of the breaches that that occur so we don't need to spend a lot of time talking about edr i think most msps can probably google and get a, a an example yeah. of that detect respond type they tool. can get a yeah they can get a couple of hands hands yeah. handfuls of those pretty easy. right and, and and quite honestly huntress to some degree does fall into that naming convention based on the the acronym of you know that detect respond but right uh so real quick talk to me about a sim tool and is that really uh critical as an msp to add that that layer that piece to the equation i think for most msp customers it probably is not because of the level of complexity and, and maybe outsource it right right yeah no i mean if you've got to do a sim tool i think you really probably need to outsource that unless you're a very, very large MSP. Got it. Or, or an MS, big SP. Right, right. Um, where, you where you have a full sock and you really, you know, you're, you're paying for that level of person or many of those level of people uh, to be able to manage that because right. the SIM tool, while it gives you a tremendous amount of information, you also have to be able to ingest it, to ingest oh. it and pick through it. Yeah. And, and while the AI can, you know, can um, help, help get rid, <laughs> get rid of the noise to a degree, there's still stuff that you've now got to have a team of people that are good enough to understand, Hey, okay, this really is a malicious thing. Um, unfortunately, I think in some ways, unfortunately, I think uh, some of the CMMC requirements, while they require a SIM tool and they require very lengthy log yeah. um, retention, you know, year-long log retention, um, I don't know that you can make the detection as quickly unless you are a very, very sophisticated MSSP um, as quickly as you can with some of the other tools. Well, let's you know, talk about a very one-off attack. Yeah. Uh, very, very directed attack. Now the SIM tool is the right, potentially the right thing. Well, so I think it's important to point out, like if you look at most MSSPs, they've got a pretty narrow focus on areas that they're providing services. It's not just like, I, I don't I, call I, them if your printer's broken. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> but one of the things that I think is really interesting um, is, is kind of going back to what we were talking about before on the protect model of like each one of these things, you've got to make a decision about the layered approach to this. A SIM tool is kind of the same way, right? Like I'm ingesting logs from my firewall. I'm ingesting logs from maybe my DNS and my AD domain controller servers, right? But then we start getting into like, and I'm monitoring 365. I'm ingesting those logs. And then the list can just keep going as you, and that's all being ingested into the same SIM tool. Is that data as important as what maybe you started out with? And so now you're going from ingesting a lot of data to a gargantuan amount of data. Do you have the resources for that? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, do you have, do you have a way to store it and back it up and all the things that you have to do because you just became 
um, responsible for that four right. terabytes of data that you're ingesting in, in, in a month. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, you know, you can, the data can rack up pretty quickly when we, I mean, it's so, I, I remember thinking about like paging files and going, wow, this isn't that big of a paging file. It's like one gig. Well, what happens when you have all of the devices that are hitting that one, you know, domain controller or, or, you know, getting a DNS request and it's all of those requests that are now being dumped into this log that you have to store. This can be overwhelming and near impossible to do if you don't outsource some of it. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause the tools are required to do it. Or, or are there any other tools in here that you think might need to be added in the detect space or should we move on to respond and recover with the, what time we have left? Yeah, no, I think we should move on to the respond and recover. Cause all right, we talk to me about long on these, man. <laughs> well, and we, we've done pretty good. I think we're, and we're close. It's a little longer than some of them, but like on the recover one, we talked about that at the beginning, guys, we get the backup solutions, your DR solutions, your IR plan is part of that same model. But talk to me a little bit about the respond piece because we didn't really touch on that at all. Yeah, so I think I think the respond piece is understanding uh, a big piece of a what what is the problem is is this something where there was data exfiltration is this something that uh, you know requires that we call somebody with a three or four letter acronym that yeah it has a dot gov um, top level domain email address yeah. Um, right. you know, do we have to, in, do we have to involve those, uh, resources and do we involve, um, insurance, do we solve insurance? Do we involve insurance? Right. Right. You know, does this customer have insurance? Did they think about that? You know, the, the response I think becomes different depending on, or is for sure different I, depending on whether they have uh, insurance or not. I, I would argue whether they have insurance, but when I say insurance, we know they all, most of our clients have insurance. Whether or not they have the right insurance. Is right, right. If they have insurance, it will be effectual right. in any yeah. way. Right. I think that there is still a, this is, I would say, number one, always call your insurance company. Even if you don't have, you end up finding out you don't have that special don't have rider. Cyber, right. Don't have cyber. Because you're still going to get guidance because you are a customer and they want to see, you know, they, well, they do to a degree have your interest in yeah. mind. And, because, and you may and you may still have coverage there on the business interruption. You, absolutely. Yeah. Business interruption is an interesting one when it comes to cybersecurity too. And the second piece to your point on the, the three or four letter organization Again, that comes back to, I think you're going to get a pretty good uh, steering or guidance from the insurance company. So to some degree, it's like, hey, they set up your IR plan for you. So let's go that way. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, the response is predicated on, on what you have or don't have in place in that particular instance. Well, we're also, we're also stating something here that I think is important to let everybody know. We jumped to, this was a boom that needs to be addressed at that level. I think respond in the context of the detection tool doesn't necessarily imply that you got to start making phone calls outside of say your internal staff to say, Hey, let's right. get this over to the SOC team and have them go in and, you know, remediate the following four ports on the firewall. And, you know, we're going to restore backups on these two machines because that protocol and the way that that's communicating to the network, something's not right. Well, right, right. And, and the other thing that you have uh, that's becoming more common with these tools is, you know, if you have the boom event, you have the detection and within minutes, perhaps less, depending on the tool, 
if that machine has been isolated from the network and there's mm -hmm. no further booms, now I've got one machine to deal with. No one's calling the FBI for one right. machine unless that happens to be the, the one that has the vaccine database on yeah. it, you know, at the at the CDC. Um, <laughs> the the typical end user machine, if you have a boom event, you detect it quickly using whatever tool set. Mm -hmm. The machine becomes um, isolated from the network, which a lot of these tools are now getting getting good at. You know, yeah, it can call home to the mothership, so it can be unisolated once we decide is sure. this a good thing or is it you know it, it, are we okay with we're, whatever this we're happy with a crying like. wolf right I, I, yeah i would cry i would much cry rather wolf take, all day long yeah i would much rather take the phone call from a customer that's pissed off that their machine or or even a server was right. offline for 10 or 15 minutes while we analyze do we have a boom event here or not yeah Right. Um, so, so then that's a really important piece that I think all MSPs can participate in as we get ready to close this out. What's the escalation process in place with the customer so that they know like, hey, this probably isn't the time to just go to the ticketing system and open a new ticket and say, I think this is urgent, right? Like, do, do the clients know that when it's bad, they need to go and pick up that phone? Pick or, up the phone? Right. Like, I think I'd, I'd like to tell common. you that ours do, and, you know, we try to well, try to properly message that, but, and I think sometimes the crazy part is it doesn't matter how many times you do it. You don't know when they're going to get it. So like I was just dealing with one the other day during our quarterly service review, and I've been working with this company now for five years and it's the same agreement in place now as it was then. And literally the decision maker goes, wait, that's the identifier for what the levels of criticality are. He's like, I had no idea that that was there. Wow. And, and I was literally on a, on a QSR with you three months ago prior to that one. And we doing through the same thing. We, yeah, yeah. We talked about the same thing, you know, every 90 days we do. Well, well, so, and the ninth time he got it right. Well, uh, Eric, is there anything else? Cause I think we didn't really leave a lot on, on, uh, on, no rock unturned, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, I was, I was going to say, I think we flipped all the rocks over Flipped all the rocks the over. underneath. So uh, for those of you that are into exploring what's on the beach underneath that rock, well, hopefully we gave you your money's worth. So uh, for everybody listening, this has been MSP 1337. Thanks and have a great week. Thanks Russ.